we don't speak for ourselves. We don't speak our own gospel. We speak the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ who has sent us. We are under His authority. And He speaks through us the message of Christ, which is be reconciled and be saved. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, He turns you into an apostle so that you can make that appeal to the world. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend, Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. Second Peter chapter 1. And we are turning a chapter <laughs> in our study of Peter's letters. This, okay, tough crowd this morning. Uh, it's from the first to the second. It's a chapter, all right? And when you get to that page, if when you go to the second letter of Peter or the second letter of to the Corinthians or second letter to Timothy and you look at all these seconds if you're like me your first question is why does there have to be a second letter right you know what what's what's going on why is he writing again maybe the first question is is it going to the same person you know at least in Corinthians first Corinthians second Corinthians we know it's going to the same location uh, when we come to Peter uh, the introductions are a little bit different, so you may think, all right, are, is this letter going to the same people of First Peter? And the answer is yes. Uh, we don't see that really very clearly until chapter 3, verse 1, when Peter says, this is the second letter that I'm writing to you. So he is still writing to the elect exiles, those who have been exiled for their faith in Jesus Christ. And the second obvious question is, all right, why is he writing? Uh, did they not listen to him the first time? And so does, is he reiterating all his first points? Or is there a different reason for him to write? And the answer is there's a little bit, there's a different reason, right? The, the first letter, the focus was remaining faithful through persecution. And that's where Peter continued to talk about, right? We had all those messages on suffering. We, that, that was the heart of Peter's letter. And so this time when he picks up his pen to write his second letter, he is combating a different issue. And this time the issue is not from outside the church. The issue actually is coming from within the church. What is happening is false teachers have infiltrated the church and bringing with them false doctrine and shameful immorality. And when we saw through 1 Peter, we understood how the persecution from outside the church could affect the stability of the church. At the same time, when we come to 2 Peter, what we're going to find out is that false doctrine threatens the stability of the church from inside the church. And if you ask me personally, I, I think the false doctrine from inside is, is much more insidious. Right? These are people who profess to be believers who are leading the sheep astray with false teachings and false doctrine, and saying the gospel that I preach really doesn't impact my life because they're engaged in all this type of immorality. And so Peter is going to write and, and make it very clear 
that the way you combat false teachers and false te- uh, teaching is with a thorough understanding of the truth. A truth that Peter is going to show us grows as we grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And so Peter this morning is going to call our attention to our faith. Because that's, that's going to be the foundational starting point. Can't grow in faith in Christ if you don't have faith in Christ. And this morning, just from those two verses that, that Peter writes, what we're going to do is look at how the faith has impacted Peter and how that same faith impacts us today as well. So let's look just at the first two verses as Peter begins uh, his second letter. He writes, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So this morning, just from those two verses, I want you to notice four aspects of faith. And the first one is this. Peter makes it clear that faith in Jesus is available to everyone. All right? Faith is available to everyone. Peter addresses this letter. Look at how he says. He says, to those who have obtained a faith. And then he says at the end, by the righteousness of our God. He makes it clear that the proper faith is faith in Jesus Christ. And that it is available to everyone. Now, one of the things that Peter does here that he wants to point out is that this faith, and and there's many great truths about Christianity, but this is a great truth that salvation is accessible for everyone. Right? It's it's available for, for everyone. It's not a deep, hidden secret only available for a few. When I was writing this, I immediately kind of, I don't, I don't know if I saw an article beforehand or, or what spurred me to think about this. I immediately kind of thought of Scientology, right? The whole idea behind Scientology and many other false religions is that you progress through levels only as you obtain certain knowledge, only as you become enlightened to a certain degree. And, and so you get to one point, you can't go to a next point until you, you obtain this knowledge. And there's, there's eight levels in Scientology, and then there's supposed to be another seven super secret levels that people don't know about, but everybody knows about thanks to the Internet. Um, you, you know, but it's only for a few people. Right? Same thing with, with other religions. It's, it, you, you try to get through that, you know, okay, I know this much. Okay, now that you've attained this knowledge, you need to obtain a little bit more. There's always a little bit more that you can obtain before you can be saved, before you reach the, the ultimate level. Peter writes and says, that's, that's not true. There are no barriers placed in front of people when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You go back and read through Scripture and you see this very clearly. Whosoever believes will be saved. Whoever believes with their heart is justified. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That the faith through salvation made uh, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross is available for everyone. With the only caveat that we see in Scripture is you have to call on the Lord. 
There's no gaining special knowledge. And Peter writes, when you come to faith in the Lord, those who have attained a faith, he says, of equal standing with ours. And that's just as important because what it tells us is there's not really a hierarchy in Christianity. right? The faith that you have this morning is the exact same faith that you have that, that Peter used to confess Christ as Lord. Right? Peter didn't come to, to faith in Christ and then was elevated. Yes, he's an apostle and he has some authority that we don't. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the saving faith that Peter has doesn't make him any more special than you. I know everybody's heard it before, and I know it's kind of trite that, that at the cross, the ground is level. Our salvation is the same. It doesn't make Peter's salvation greater. It doesn't make John's salvation greater or Thomas or any of the original disciples greater than the faith you have. That's, that's, that's pretty amazing. I know sometimes that, that one of the things that we do when we talk about our faith is we play this comparison game. Right? So-and-so has a stronger faith than me. Or, you know, we'll, we'll, being in North Carolina, we immediately go to Billy Graham, right? I mean, he's kind of the, the go-to gold standard. I could, I could never have the same faith as, as Billy Graham. But you do. We all do. Because what Peter writes and and what Peter tells us is that our faith in Jesus Christ, your faith in Jesus Christ, is neither deficient nor inferior to the faith that Peter has. It's neither deficient nor inferior to the faith that Billy Graham has. I mean, all of us come to Christ through the same faith. There is no inequality in believers. That is why we can't boast. I mean, in addition to we didn't come by our own hands, that's also why we can't boast. (laughs) My faith is better than yours. Why? You came to Christ the same way I did. And you can see how false teachers would exploit that, right? My faith is a little bit better because i got a secret knowledge that you don't have. My faith is, is wiser because when I was saved, something greater happened in me than happened in you. And you can see how false teachers can take that and just eat away at the believers who might be struggling and going, Hmm, maybe my faith isn't what I thought it was. Maybe my salvation is deficient. Boy, you get somebody believing their salvation is deficient, you can feed them all kinds of lies to make them say, hey, see how strong your salvation can be if you just do this, 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 and this. And Peter says, don't don't give into it. Don't give into it. You have salvation equal with ours. And the reason why is made very simple. And that is because faith in Jesus is possible because of his righteousness. Faith in Jesus is possible because of his righteousness. That's what Peter says. You've attained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Salvation comes from Jesus. That's it. That's it. If our salvation depended on us on what we did or didn't do or what we know or didn't know or what secret level we can obtain or if any of that was true, we couldn't be saved. Let me ask you this. All right, let, just, I'm going to go real, real basic bottom level. 
If your salvation was dependent on you reading the Bible every single day of your life, every single day of your life, raise your hand if you'd be saved. There's my point. I mean, I'm not, I'm not raising my hands either. They're out to the side. All right. Salvation was dependent on us praying every single day. We wouldn't be saved. Salvation was dependent on us doing, uh, uh, helping somebody else, right? Jesus says, when you help the least of these, you've, you've, you've helped me. If salvation was dependent on us helping somebody else, eh, mm -mm. Telling the truth, nope. That was a little loud for the person that laughed. <laughs> See, that, that, that's why it's called good news. I mean, you know this. Right? I mean, it's called good news because we can't do that. But if any of that was true, again, you can see how somebody would place and say, my salvation is better than yours. But it's not what's happening. There, there, there's just, you know, if somebody came to you, and this is why I say this is so insidious, all right? If somebody came to you, and said the way to be saved is to do all this or to give all this money or, do, or, or participate in all this, you would probably immediately think, well, that's not quite right. You, you know, I think we're pretty good at something that is a bold-faced lie, right? The reason this is difficult is because when we went through Galatians, we talked about this a lot, that, that idea of Jesus plus salvation, that you need Jesus plus a little something. You've got to add a little something a little bit of your righteousness to his. Well, we have a problem. We're told our righteousness is like filthy rags. So what, what exactly would you add? What is lacking from Jesus' righteousness that you could add to it to get you to, so that you would be saved? That's my answer, too. Nothing. <laughs> Uh, there, there, there's nothing that I can add to that. It's just that simple. Jesus is the only one who lived a perfectly sinful life, Jesus, sinless life. Jesus is the only one who could atone for our sins. Jesus is the only one who can take us to the Father, right? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I know we talk about that verse, and it, it is all about salvation, but there's another aspect of that verse, and the verse is us being presented to the Father. Right? Jesus, it, it says, you can't get to see the Father unless I take you in to see the Father. And when I take you in to see the Father, the only way that you're going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, the only way that you're going to be able to stand before God as a redeemed sinner is if you are standing before God and you have been covered by the righteousness of Jesus. So that when God looks out at you, He doesn't see all your unrighteousness. All He sees is the righteousness of Jesus. That's the only way. And it's not ours. Because ours is filthy, dirty, trampled on, disgusting rags. And Jesus' righteousness is pure and holy and acceptable by God. 
And you and I will be able to stand before God and be with God for all eternity because of the righteousness of Jesus. And while that has eternal consequences, it also changes who we are here and now. And we see this demonstrated through what Peter calls himself. And so what we see is faith in Jesus changes your identity. Faith in Jesus changes your identity. We talked about this throughout 1 Peter, right? That Peter constantly uses, uses the promises of the glory to come as an impetus to how we behave in this life. And we see that when Peter demonstrates this change when he calls himself a servant and an apostle. And this morning, what is true of him is, is also true of us. But as you can see to the two words that I changed on the screen this morning, it presents some challenges for us today. Because first of all, we learned that we are changed to slaves. Now, originally that was servant. And, and please remember I wrote the outline to these eight months before I really dug deep into the ser sermon. And as I, I studied this past week and was putting this together, I just I, I couldn't stay with servant. And you go, all right, Gary, why not? The word in 2 Peter 1, 2, or 1, 1 says servant. Well, that's not what the word means. It, it's, the, the word in, in Greek is doulos. And I only say that because it's probably, there are some Greek words that I think as you progress in faith and, and you study, you, you hear and you're, you, you, you've heard before. And I think that's one of them. And there's been a great struggle of how you translate this word. The ESV uses servant. The King James Version uses bond servant. But neither are accurate because the word means slave. That, that's, that's what it means. The problem is, as soon as we hear the word slave, we immediately think back to our history and the sin of slavery in the U.S. Let's be honest, the word slave does not carry in any connotation really a positive aspect of it. Nobody here, voluntarily or involuntarily, wants to be a slave. We can understand then why people, translation committees, would be hesitant to change it, right? But listen to this. This is from the translation committee to, I think, the ESV, but I also looked at the Holman Christian Standard, because originally the Holman Christian Standard translated as slave, but when they went from Holman to Christian Standard, they changed it to servant. So I don't remember which translation committee is. Now listen to what they say very carefully. The theologically appropriate connotation of the word is lost on most readers. In light of this obstacle, it seemed best to the translation oversight committee to choose a word that is less apt to cause distraction and misunderstanding. Did you note in the opening part of their sentence that they admit that the correct theological connotation of the word is slave. All right? in, in Greek culture, that is what the word meant. One of the most exhaustive dictionaries of the New Testament when it comes to this word pretty much says it meant slave. No other study is necessary. It, it was just that obvious. 
And the second part is, it, it says, all right, it's lost on most readers. Now, that's my job. That, that, that's the job of a pastor, to help you understand it. So what are we understanding? What we're understanding is that the word is slave, and if we change it, it has consequences. It impacts our confession. Let me show you how. Romans chapter 6. You can turn there if you want to. But a couple passages there. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. says, well, verse 16, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves for the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of disobedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin. Throughout those verses, it is the same word that Peter writes. He is using the word slave. He knew what he meant when he wrote that. He understood, much like Paul is writing here, that we are slaves. And he says, for when you are slaves of sin, in verse 20, right? you, you were slaves to sin. We, we could not get out of the bondage that we were in. We were slaves to sin, and there was nothing that we could do to free ourselves, just like when Peter was writing, there was nothing that a slave could do to free themselves. Until a change happened. The change happens in Romans 10.9. And this is important, how it ends. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord... Now, that word Lord there means master. We confess, when we come to confess Jesus as Lord, we confess at that moment that He owns us. He owns our lives. He owns our thoughts. He owns our actions. And He owns our soul. And praise God, He owns us for all eternity. So in that confession, we are moved from being slaves to our sin to slaves of Jesus' righteousness. Romans 6, 22 and 23 makes this explicitly clear. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, showing us that we have been set free from sin and become slaves to God through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, who is our Master, who is the one who has all authority over us. And you see this back in 2 Peter, where Peter ends in verse 2, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. See, here's the thing. We are slaves. The question is, do we want to be slaves to sin that's going to lead to death, or do we want to be slaves to the one who has redeemed us and promised us life? Now, I don't know about you, 
But that really seems like a no-brainer decision. That I can come to Christ, I can confess Him as Je- that, that Jesus is Lord and be His slave because He is not a cruel master. Sin is. Sin is a very cruel master that wants to kill you. Jesus, on the other hand, is a master who welcomes us into his family, who adopts us, who calls us children. We're told that we're his heirs, and Peter explicitly told us last week, right, that he cares for us. Who do you want to serve? You're going to serve one or the other. Does it not make sense to serve the one that loves you enough to die on the cross for you so that you no longer have to serve the one that's going to kill you? See, when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord, we are confessing to Him that we are His and that we're going to serve Him. We're going to serve Him with our spiritual gifts. We're going to serve Him through helping others. We're going to serve Him as we worship Him. We're going to serve Him as we act justly. We're going to serve Him as we proclaim the gospel. We're going to serve Him as we intercede through prayer for other people. We're going to use our lives and our actions and our talents and our abilities and our money and everything to serve Him. Because He owns us. And we are His slaves. But He is a loving, kind Master who wants the best for us. Secondly, this morning, we're also changed to apostles. We're also changed to apostles. Now, originally, I had the word ambassador there, and I changed it. Peter explicitly says here, he is an apostle. So here, pop quiz. How many apostles were there in the Bible? If you think the answer is 12, raise your hand. The fact that none of you raise your hand tells me one of two things. Either you have great biblical knowledge... Or you don't trust me. <laughs> I don't know which one it is. I'll ask at Christmas how many wise men they were and see what the answer is. All right, but as we go through Scripture, what we find out is there were more than the 12 apostles. Acts 14.14 14 says, But when the apostles, plural, Barnabas and Paul... 2 Corinthians 8.23, As for Titus, he is my partner and my fellow worker for your benefit. And as for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ Jesus. What brothers? Well, we know that Paul worked with Mark and Silas and uh, Titus and Timothy, and he says they're messengers. You want to guess what that word messenger is? It's the word apostle. Philippians 2.25, Epaphroditus is called a messenger. Again, called apostle an apostle. Ephesians 4.11, in the spiritual gifts, it says some are called to be an apostles. Now, on a quick side note, because I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole, when you get home, just write somewhere in your notes, read Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Don't do it right now. Do it later. Hebrews 3, verse 1. But there's more than 12 apostles. So apostle, obviously, seems to have a couple different designations, right? At least two. Because what we see is that an apostle means one that is sent with a message, which sounds a lot like a missionary, like an evangelist, like a church planner, or like what every single believer should be. 
We are one that is sent with the message. And I changed it to apostles, and the reason I originally shied away was it was because I was like, kind of like the translation committee, oh, people won't understand. They're like, well, you just said it was your job to help them understand, so help them understand. But one of the reasons is we need to understand that there's a difference between big A apostle and little a apostle. Okay, there is a distinct difference. Okay, Peter was a big A apostle. It means he has authority to do things that I cannot, that you cannot. He has the authority to write 2 Peter under God's inspiration. So when he writes to the people and he says, hey, look, if the false teachers say this and it contradicts what I say, you got to go with me. Same is true for us. If we hear a teaching today that contradicts what Peter writes, we got to go with Peter because he has the authority, because he's the big A apostle. He has the authority sent by God. He has the authority to combat the false teachings. Right? At, at the same time, we, we know that apostle, even though it is used, is not actually a specific office of the church. Some denominations do that. Some people give themselves the title of apostle. And they do it as a way to carry more authority than maybe they really have. I am not the apostle Gary. I don't have the authority to write a gospel. Right? I mean, let's, let's be honest, that would just be a theological mess, would it not? Right? I, I don't have that authority and so i think baptist right since we don't we, we tend to shy away we don't want to say well i'm an apostle because all of a sudden we got all that baggage that 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 comes with the way the word has has not been used correctly but every one of us is an apostle because we've been sent with the message now we see this very clearly in second corinthians 5 20 now when I read that text, the first thing you're going to go say is, Gary, it says ambassador, not apostle. And, and the answer is, you're absolutely correct. But the words mean almost the same thing because an ambassador is one who is sent with a message. Right? There's very little distinction. But in 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. We have, we're apostles for Christ. We have been sent out with a message to proclaim to the world. Now look at what Paul writes here, because I think this is, this is humbling. It's the only word that I can think. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. God makes his appeal to the gospel for other people to be saved through you. God has set you up as an apostle in your community, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your family, in your circle of friends, so that through you, the appeal of the gospel is made. How are you doing <laughs> on, on making that appeal? How are you doing on being the ambassador? Right? See, we don't speak for ourselves. We don't speak our own gospel. We speak the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ who has sent us. We are under His authority. And He speaks to us, or speaks through us, the message of Christ, which is be reconciled and be saved. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, He turns you into an apostle so that you can make that appeal to the world. Right? Because here's the truth. Think about it this way. Everybody who's been saved has heard the message from somebody else. 
I am sure that somebody has read the, gospel, the, read the Bible on their own. I'm sure somewhere in all of history, somebody randomly found a Bible somewhere, read it, and was saved. However, most of the redeemed brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world, throughout history, have been saved because somebody else told them. Somebody else made the appeal to the gospel to them, and they were being used by God to do just that. But then lastly, faith in Jesus is a growing faith. Peter writes to encourage believers to grow in our faith, and he says we do that through the knowledge of Jesus our Lord and Savior. The best way to corrupt, uh, combat false teachings is to know Jesus, to know your faith, to grow in the knowledge of Jesus and grow in the knowledge of faith. But before Peter dives in to tell us how we are to grow in informational knowledge, and we are, Right? We are to grow in the informational knowledge of Christ, of His Word. He says, first of all, you've got to grow in personal knowledge. And the way we see that is in the word for knowledge that He uses in this verse. It's not the word for just an intellectual knowledge. He'll use that later. This is the knowledge that is an intimate, personal knowledge, similar to the knowledge that a husband and wife have, where you really know that person. You don't just know about that person, right? There's a lot of people we know a lot of stuff about, but we don't really know that person. Here Peter says, you've got to have a personal knowledge of Christ. This, this is the foundation, because if this is not the foundation, then all the knowledge that we add to it we're, we're, is, is empty knowledge, because there's no foundation. And we see this. Peter sprinkles this through the opening two verses, right? He says that we have been saved through faith, through God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus, our Lord, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, who is the Messiah. Jesus, who is the only one who can multiply grace and peace to those who have a personal knowledge of Him that has been expressed in a saving relationship with Jesus. Peter says, you've got to have a growing knowledge in Jesus. And yes, this could be a growing intellectual knowledge. But as that intellectual knowledge grows, so too does our personal knowledge. And instead of just growing in facts, what we're growing is, is we're growing in love towards our Savior. And if Peter says, you grow in love towards your Savior, where you love Him more and more and more and more each and every day, then you're going to be able to withstand the false teachings because you're going to see that they're trying to take you away from the one that you love. But we've got to have a growing faith. And it is expressed through coming to know Jesus as Lord and our Savior. If we take all this together, Peter says we can combat the false teachings that were prevalent then. And sadly, as we see going through this, are prevalent today as well. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.